Welcome once again to the Towards Wholeness podcast, where our hope is to offer you steps that you can take toward wholeness, both in spirit and soul and body. And today, our theme is a very important theme, I think, for many people. I've entitled this session, Evolving Faith. I grew up in a very conservative Christian background. I went to a Billy Graham crusade when I was six years old. I was afraid from what Billy Graham was saying that if I died at that very moment, I'd go to hell. Uh, later on, when I was 12 years old, I walked down the aisle in the church that I attended as a child and received Christ as my Savior, and then began what has been a, about a 50-year journey of my faith evolving. And the faith that I had as a child is no longer the same faith that I have today. I still believe in the resurrection. I still believe in the centrality of Christ. I still believe that Christ is the single hope for this broken world in which we find ourselves at this moment. But many of my views on many subjects under the umbrella of faith have evolved along the way. And for many who have grown up in the church, even the word evolution itself has taken on uh, questionable language. Uh, we want to put that to bed in our time together today and say, as we continue to grow in our lives, the worst thing we could ever become is simply turf defenders spending most of our decades defending what we learned when we were 15 years old. So a guest for this conversation today is a good friend who lives in the Lakes District of England, my friend Rob Whitaker. Rob and I know each other because we're both affiliated uh, with Torchbearers. I teach at various Bible schools in Europe and North America, and Rob also teaches at various Bible schools. But in addition to that, Rob has the distinction of having been principal of Cape and Ray Hall, one of the largest of the Torchbearer Bible schools in the lovely Lakes District of Carnforth, England. I will put a link on the podcast notes here for both Cape and Ray Hall and Torchbearers Missionary Fellowship so that you can get more information if you're interested. But Rob has led that school faithfully until just a few years ago when uh, he retired. And so I'm going to let Rob tell uh, more of his own story. But Rob, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the Toward Wholeness podcast. Hey, it's a privilege to be here, Richard. Thank you for having me. Um, my journey is maybe a little bit different than yours in that uh, my mum and dad were not committed Christians. I mean, they were not wild living people. They were great people. But um, my introduction to any kind of faith was my uncle, who was an eccentric vicar in the Anglican Church. And uh, some of my happiest days when I was growing up, we used to go and spend summer holidays there. And uh, remember, he set the vicarage on fire one time, which was kind of exciting. <laughs> but he was not only eccentric in terms of his personality, but the way around the church was eccentric. And so I honestly sat through many of his sermons trying not to laugh because they seemed so irrelevant to life, to be honest with you. And so by the age of about 18, I had... Uh, concluded that, that, that Christianity was a bit of a joke and a bit irrelevant. I was studying physics, and uh, so when I read the Bible, it, I had lots and lots of questions. But stuff really turned around for me in 1965. You've already mentioned Cape and Ray. I went along there for no other reason than there seemed 
lots and lots of pretty American girls there. And uh, God kind of ambushed me. And uh, I, I listened to them singing and they meant it. And I listened to the guys preaching and it made a lot of sense to me. And so I went home and the best way I knew how I surrendered to the Lord Jesus. That was the start of my journey, but it certainly wasn't the end. That's a great story. Uh, you went on from there to get involved in vocational ministry in a church as well. Tell us how that came about. Well, sure. I, uh, As I said, I was studying physics and I kind of enjoyed it, but it wasn't really where my heart was. And from the very earliest days of becoming a Christian, and I struggle with this, I, I wanted to actually teach what the Lord was showing me. And I struggled. Is that is that me who wants to do that? Is it God who wants me to do that? And I talked to a gentleman we both know, Stuart Briscoe. And he said, Rob, why does that have to be a binary choice? He didn't use those words, but that, that was the question. You know, why could it not be you and God who wants you to do this? And uh, so I went to seminary for three years and then I left. And I expected to get a phone call from Bill Hybels or some mega church in, in America invite me to come and help them out. And that didn't happen, actually. And I, I finished up doing a manual working job for three years, working on the local parks. And uh, that was a very difficult time because God's called me and I've trained and there's nothing opening up. And so I decided just to go around knocking on people's doors and trying to tell them about Jesus. And uh, that was incredible, man. I don't know if I dare do that today, but, uh, you know, the, a lot of people became Christians. And so we started a church in our own neighborhood and we actually met in our own home for the first three years, which was very, very interesting. So that was my kind of introduction to, to the ministry. So uh, you basically started church planting before church planting was a thing, it sounds like to me. Absolutely. And, and somebody said to me, you know, you know, how did you plan that? And I said, well, it seems to me churches begin the way babies begin. And there are three ways babies begin. And they look at me like I'm going to come out with something earth shattering. And I say, you know, babies can be can uh, be conceived through careful planning, and that wasn't the way our church began. <laughs> uh, churches can begin uh, just like babies can be conceived through sin. People have a bust up and take off and load the horse and cart and go somewhere else, and a new church is planted. I said, but sometimes babies are conceived by accident, you know. And to be real honest, we didn't set out to plant a church; we just set out to tell people about Jesus. And then we all decided, hey, we, we need to be committed to each other as well as to the Lord. So that, that's how the deal began. Uh, you know, I'm interested in your uh, background in physics, because uh, one of the books that uh, has been popular within the last five to 10 years in the United States has been a book by a guy named David Kinnaman entitled You Lost Me. Uh -huh. but, uh, it's it's a it's a st kind of a statistical study of why people between the ages of eighteen and thirty five are fleeing from institutional religion and mm. evangelical Christianity in particular. Sure. And so the book articulates several reasons why people are leaving the faith, and one of the reasons that is articulated uh, is people say, "Oh, you know why I'm leaving the faith." Uh, the faith is anti-science. 
And uh, so I now, I've had this conversation with several people in my congregation because I, uh, the congregation I lead in urban Seattle uh, has a professor of immunology and a professor of physics, along with a couple of professors of uh, religious studies and philosophy. And uh, so they've all made peace with the relationship of faith and science. But for many evangelicals, uh, one gal said to me, I felt like I was forced to choose between intellectual integrity and keeping my faith. So I left the church in favor of intellectual integrity. Help us know how you've resolved that uh, dilemma, Rob. Well, if I'm honest and vulnerable, I guess in the early days, I kind of was living in two worlds, really. And, uh, you know, on Sunday and praying and reading the Bible, I was thinking, well, this is one world. And then, and, and I was re never really a practicing physicist because I went straight from uh, university doing physics to, well, with a year off, I then went and did theology. But um, over the years, I, I've had to learn to differentiate between what I think are primary, non-negotiable, set in cement um, truths, like, you know, Jesus is God and, and we need him and he wants to come into our lives. But then there's a lot of other stuff that I honestly don't think it's a place to plant a flag and die for. And right. there are all kinds of ways that people suggest that you can reconcile uh, scripture and science. And there are lots of different theories. Um, my view personally, for what it's worth, is that when I, when I read uh, the book of Genesis, it's telling me why things have happened. It's not particularly there to tell me how they happened. And I don't therefore have any, any problems personally, although I know many of the places I go and speak, if they even heard me say what I just said now, I'd probably be persona non grata, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, that it, that that particular issue of the age of the earth and the literal reading of Genesis can be a big uh, stumbling block. Sure, I was sure. privileged I, I, about, I think it's going to be about a decade ago now, about the year 2010, I was privileged to be invited to something that I affectionately nicknamed Science Camp. And it was put on by uh, Regent College in British Columbia, yep. uh, which has a seminary attached to it. And uh, uh, the guys who put it on had received a grant. And so they brought uh, scientists along with theologians to this beautiful island off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia. And we spent a week uh, digesting both science and the Bible. And wow. by the end of that week, I was, I was convinced that the, not only is there no conflict, but that when you get into science, science points to um, the, the masterful creativity of a first cause or a creator or however, however we, you know, we would define that as God. But uh, uh, it, what it, what has happened to me is it's opened up uh, an appreciation for God's first book, which is the revelation that comes through creation. Amen. Absolutely. And uh, so from there in your own, in your own journey, uh, in addition to questions around science and faith, how has your faith? How has your faith evolved uh, down through the years? In other words, have there been uh, 
issues that have come up that have caused you to create a nuanced shift in in your view of this thing that we call the Christian life? Absolutely. Um, Richard, one of the things I've realized, for me anyway, and I suspect I'm not on my own, is that the longest distance in the universe is, is from our head to our heart. And probably for the first 15, 18 years of my Christian life, if you'd said to me, Rob, do you believe that God loves you? I've said, of course I do, man. Are you crazy? And it's John three sixteen. Of course he loves me. And yet, and I only realized it afterwards looking back, I, I was still on the kind of gerbil treadmill of do, 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 pray, 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 witness, 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 for goodness sake, don't miss a quiet time, etc. And all of that, although I didn't realize it, was kind of an attempt to, to win God's love that almost felt like a, a marathon race that I had to do. And, and, and at the end of the race, he was going to high five me and say, Rob, I love you. Uh, and yet somebody kept moving the goalpost. You know, I'd, I'd read some kind of book on fasting or something. Oh, I'm not doing that. And so my life was just piling on myself loads and loads and loads of things to do. And then one time, uh, I guess maybe mid, late 70s, I went to some meetings and I was dragged along. They were not meetings I particularly wanted to go to. And uh, I I enjoyed the guy preaching. I, I At first I was a bit cautious of him, but as I listened to him, my heart warmed to him. But what I didn't like was once he'd finished preaching, he said, let's all get into little groups and pray for one another. Well, where I came from, you know, getting into little groups with strangers was, you know, w- w- was not something that I would – travel vast distances to do. And so I'm sitting with this guy who looked at me and said, do, do you mind if I pray for you? And uh, I said, well, what are you going to pray, man? And uh, this is me who's saying every day, Lord, I'm willing for anything you want. What are you going to pray? And he said, I'm just going to pray if the Lord wants to do anything new in your life, you'll let him. I said, well, if that's all you pray, that's fine. And uh, so he prayed and that was that. And then this worship band, and remember this is back in the mid-late 70s, this this worship band at the front began to sing this thing that was kind of upbeat and not my cup of tea at all, and some folk at the front started to kind of bop around. And I'm sitting on the back row and I'm thinking, I know all the different Hebrew and Greek words for worship, and that ain't one of them, pal. (laughs) Richard, I'm not joking. For the first time in my life, I had a sense of God saying something to me, and it was clear as crystal. And he said, Rob, I'm pleased with the worship of my people. Mm. And that completely blew me away because I thought God agreed with me. You know, I mean, I kind of, you know, I, I study stuff and I read hard and all the rest of it. And I cannot tell you what a, a paradigm shift that was that maybe. God didn't agree with me on everything in terms of my background and my upbringing and my personality. And later that night, went home, fell asleep, woke up in the middle of the night. And all I can say is that there was, I'd never known this before, there was an overwhelming sense of the nearness of Jesus who began to speak, not audibly to me. And he said, Rob, I love you. I like you. I'm pleased with you. You're precious. And he said that again and again and again. And I was weeping like I've never cried before. 
And, and I woke up the next morning with an absolute conviction in my heart that God loved me and he was for me. And that kind of honest, that totally set me off in all kinds of new directions with the confidence to ask questions that before I thought even asking them, I was going to get thrown out of the kingdom. So that was a game changer for me. That's really beautiful. I, I'll share a, a story with you because it happened on, on your home court, basically, there at Cape and Ray Hall. <laughs> this was 1993, and in 1990, my wife and I had left a church that I was leading, and we'd started our own ministry. We'd entitled it Aletheia Fellowship, Aletheia being the Greek word for yeah. truth. And our thing was, you know, John 8.32, if you know Jesus, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. We, we really did want people to be free in Christ. And we would have said to you in 1990, we trust Jesus completely. Mm-hmm. And yet the reality was, for three years, I was so afraid of financial destitution that not only was I running the ministry, but I was officiating hundreds of basketball games, writing grants for the county in which I lived. And we started, we planted a house church. And a lot of the reason for all that work was I was afraid that we wouldn't make it financially. So we were basically completely ignoring Sabbath rest because we didn't have any trust in Jesus. And then I, I went to Cape and Ray Hall because our mutual friend, the late Major Thomas, had invited me to the staff conference and had invited me to speak for one of the sessions. So I did my thing and spoke, and it was fun to, to be there. And then the guest speaker, whose name I have completely forgotten, he got up to speak on the very first night, and he said, in this room of 200 people, some of you are very excited to be here. Some of you are refreshed. Some of you are looking forward to the week. And some of you are deeply weary and tired. Hmm. And when he said, some of you are deeply weary and tired, I started to weep. I knew that he was talking to me. And then he went on and he said, this week, uh, we want to spend some time not talking about trusting in Jesus, but learning to actually trust in Jesus. Hmm. And that was so powerful for me, Rob. It, there was a turning point where I, like, I went home and I started saying no for the first time in my life because I had to confess, God, I've been afraid that you're not going to provide for me. Mm. And so I've been saying yes, saying yes to everything. And I, you know, I arrived in England uh, with the flu because I was burnt out from working too hard. And then that guy spoke that word. So I love how God drops things into our lives even years down the road Amen. Uh, that continue to shift our theology. So as we continue to share our own story, can you give me other examples of how these shifts have occurred in your life? Sure. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I, I wrestled with when I was a young Christian was not, not often, but, but not infrequently either, I would be being taught things or reading things in in Christian magazines and stuff that just did not resonate with me. And then I would feel kind of bad and beat myself up and think, you know, this is because I've got a deceitful, wicked heart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And slowly, um, as I began to trust not only the Lord, but trust what he was doing in my life, I began to think, you know, maybe some of the stuff that I feel isn't right 
isn't right. And so I, I did what I what I normally do. I did read a lot and studied a lot and looked into scripture a lot and 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 a whole bunch of stuff over the years has changed. Um, I, I guess one of the first things to that I struggled with. And I don't know your take on this, Richard, but I'm, again, I'm just being honest here. Um, I, I had the idea that only people who kind of belonged to my denomination and ticked all of my you know, main points of theology, uh, those were probably going to make it to heaven on a, with a following wind. But th- the rest of the world was probably going to hell in a, in a handcart. <laughs> and, and I struggled immensely with the justice of that. And I know all the arguments about we're sinners and, you know, Christ is the only way to heaven. I know that. But I began to come to the conclusion that God's way of dealing with people is personal. Yes, the only objective way that there is a route to heaven is through Jesus, but that there are people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. That's right. Who are going to be there one day, and there's going to be some surprises about who's there and who's not there. Now, I've developed some theology around that, but that would be one of the kind of things that I used to struggle with. And, I, and you know, I that echoes with me 100% uh, as a guy who uh, travels. You meet people all around the world who uh, don't know the name Jesus but have responded to Revelation that yeah. God has given them, and and I've had to shift in that in that realm as well. Sure. In addition, I would say for me, there have been a couple of ethical transformations. I grew up in the Central Valley of California, which Rob is is nicknamed the Bible Belt of California. It's very uh-huh. unlike most of California. It's very conservative. So I grew up there, and my dad taught me from a very early age: Christians don't drink alcohol. There's <laughs> Don't you know? And and so I had received Christ and I had lived that life. And then the first time I was over teaching in Europe was in 1992, and the wall had only recently come down in Germany in 1989 between East and West. So I was privileged to teach and then have one of the students invite me to come visit his household for the weekend before I flew home. So I went to his house. We we went into former Eastern Europe. We come back and we spend an, a delightful evening, Rob, on this patio. And you know, you and I both know quite well German hospitality, <laughs> the marvelous food. And so we're on this patio with, you know, bratwurst and potato salad and all kinds of amazing bread. And then I'm also noticing uh, lots of beer and wine, lots and lots of alcohol, and everybody's drinking. And we're drinking and talking about theology at the same time. So from my upbringing, my head begins to explode. And I just go, wait a minute. How can these people have any faith if they're drinking alcohol? And the woman who was drinking the most was the grandmother, who was in her, probably in her 80s back there in 1990. And towards the end of the evening, she invited me to her house and through translation shared her testimony with me. She was born in, in 1916 or so, and her dad was killed in World War I with Germany. And then she, she married in 1939, and her husband was taken off to Eastern Europe, and then her, her whole city was bombed. And, and she tells me this entire story, and I, I said to her, like, how did you survive? And she points to a Bible on her table. And she says, every day I'm on my knees 
and I pray to Jesus to give me the strength to be a person of joy and hope. And Rob, I'll tell you what, I will never forget that moment because <laughs> I had no doubt that her faith in Christ was stronger than my own faith in Christ. And I had a lot to learn from her, but I'd spent the evening judging her and I had to repent sure. of that. So these are things that God does if we're open, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you telling that story, I remember Stuart Briscoe telling a story about being in Scandinavia this many years ago. And uh, this Scandinavian pastor was expressing great concern about American women who wore makeup. I mean, this is years ago. And, and Stuart looked at this guy and he said, I, I, I can see you're upset, he said, because the tears are running down your face. They're running along your cigar and dri dripping into your tankard of beer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. So, so as we bring this to a close, I'm, I'm wondering two questions, I guess. Yep. First of all, what causes people to stop growing and become what I call turf defenders? Mm -hmm. okay. like, and, and why does that happen? And then uh, to, if I could move that question from the negative to the positive, what would you say to someone to help them out of turf defending into this more spacious and grace-filled uh, approach to faith so that we can continue to grow? Sure. What great questions. We're all different and people are different, but I think quite often defending turf is connected to fear, fear of I'm going on a convex slope. If I give in on this, if I change my mind on that, I'm heading off into who knows where. And also linked to I'm actually defending the faith. I'm standing up for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I understand that. I respect that. But my concern is that so often that is very, very blinkered view. It's I sometimes wish people would get out more. I wish they would yes. hang loose a bit more. I mean, honestly, the fact when I discovered that God was love and that he was for me and he wasn't a disappointed parent or a frustrated head teacher or a suspicious law officer and I'm not throwing you know stones at anybody but that that was kind of my feeling about God and when I discovered that 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 God was love and he was for me and I didn't have to perform and get everything right and be perfect all the time that it gave me the freedom and confidence to ask questions to read different books to meet with different people to go to different places and I found to my amazement quite often that Jesus was in places that I never suspected. And uh, that kind of gave me a confidence to explore more some of my questions. That's really, really beautiful. And I, I do, the thing that resonates with me and what you're saying is I find many times when people are in kind of this protectionist hmm. mindset you said, I wish people would get out more. I know that people who are in a protectionist mindset haven't allowed themselves to really be present with the other in a way that could be transformative because the other is, is a threat in some sense. Sure. And the beauty of the gospel is because we know that God's love for us is unconditional and because we know that if we're seeking truth, we don't have to be afraid of finding truth anywhere, then our lives become spacious with curiosity and openness. And I think this is the kind of Christian that the world needs to see these days. And unfortunately, in the United States anyway, that is not our reputation right now. 
Sure. No, I, I, I completely agree, Richard. I was in hospital recently, and it was just fantastic to be in a ward most of the guys had had prostate cancer. They'd kind of been hit, been hit by that wrecking ball that had come into their life. And uh, just great to talk to people who didn't have a clue about anything. And it was just wonderful and refreshing. And these guys wanted me to pray with them. And I was just wonderful. One guy, he got this kind of tube coming out of his bladder and stuff wasn't coming out. So he had a tube in, in the other side of his body and going to two bags and uh, the wrong bags filling up, showing that his plumbing's not working right. And I said to him, Mark, I said, you know, I'm kind of a religious guy. That's not what I am really. I just love Jesus. And do you mind if I pray for you? He says, man, I don't mind at all. So I prayed God had switched the bags around. And six o'clock the next morning, this guy says, hey, Rob, the big fella's listening. And and I I just love getting out amongst people who don't know the Lord because that challenges you as well about how real you are in the stuff you say you believe, you know. That is That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Rob, if people wanted to hear more of your teachings, and I'll just parenthetically add here to our listeners that when I travel and teach and ask students uh, who their favorite professor has been on the circuit of torture teachers, often Rob's name rises to the top. I, I've been blessed by your teaching. How can we access your teaching, Rob? Well, yeah, th- and thanks for that, uh, Richard. This isn't a mutual appreciation society, but when I ask, it's Richard, but there you go. Um, I Go on YouTube and just look up Cape and Ray Hall. It's spelt funny, C-A-P-E-R-N-W-R-A-Y, Cape and Ray Hall, and there's a whole bunch of free, both audio and video stuff that you can access, and not all of that, but quite a lot of that would be mine, yep. Well, uh, Rob, that's beautiful from the... I met you. I remember the first time I met you, it was in 2001. I was teaching over at Cape and Ray Hall. And then we had a few minutes chatting together. And uh, the, the very first time I met you, the word I used when I said, I reported back to my wife, I said, Rob is disarming in his authenticity. And I mean that. Thank so thank you. thanks for being who you are, my friend. Uh, many people around the world are blessed by your ministry. And I know that our listeners have, I trust, been blessed today by your investment. So thanks. Hey, thanks, Richard. God bless you, friend. All right. We'll see you next time on the Towards Wholeness podcast. Thanks for joining us today.